Good morning, New Path. Uh, when we began the service, we started with Raise a Hallelujah. And that song is about praising God and looking to him to bring deliverance. And there, I just want you to know that praise is one of the weapons that we have. Uh, when Saul and uh, uh, Paul and Saul were in prison. They were in the inner prison. They began to worship God, and there was an earthquake. And we don't know exactly how that happened, but they were praising God, chained to the wall. Uh, I don't know how much slack they had, but I'm sure if they had enough slack, they were raising their hands and giving him praise. And, you know, I just see God in heaven listening to that praise and, uh, and just releasing his power into that prison and shaking that place and setting them free. Uh, praise sets us free. Praise uh, sets God free to move. Uh, when the children of Israel went out to fight uh, one time into a battle, it's in, First Corinthians, it's in First Chronicles chapter 20. They went out to a battle and uh, they sent the praisers first. And they were saying, praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And while they were praising him, he set uh, ambushes against the enemy. They turned on each other and, and uh, they were wiped out. And without lifting a spear, a sword, or an, or an arrow, shooting an arrow. So praise is a weapon. And uh, as we were singing that, uh, Kathy Hayes, just uh, a testimony of her, of her children that are in Uganda, uh, came to her spirit. And I want her to just share for a minute. Thank you. When I, uh, is that on? Let's see. Let's see. Yep. Okay. There we go. Hello. Okay, um, I love that song. It has a special meaning to me. And it's funny, because I was gonna ask Jenny, um, gee, I never hear us sing that song at church. Could you bring, and then so I came in this morning, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Um, that song has a special meaning to me. My children, my oldest daughter, is married to a wonderful man. They're missionaries in Uganda. They um, teach farming God's way, they preach, they sing, they hold ministry, um, but their real cause for being there is for clean water. Um, they've been there seven years. I have four grandchildren over there, two Ugandans that were adopted. Um, the testimony on that is just amazing someday, maybe I'll share that. But, um, and then they have two children that they, Ronnie uh, gave birth to naturally. Well, when you're in Uganda, there's a lot of viruses, parasites, and, and illnesses that the natives are more immune to than Americans. Um, they've had many, many cases of malaria um, to the point where some of the medicine doesn't even work with them anymore. They've had some other funky diseases that I couldn't even tell you the name of or pronounce it that have been debilitating. So um, one week, they all were very, very sick. And um, it's hard for a mom to be that far away. When they were in the US and they were in Texas, they had people. When they went to Uganda, they didn't have people, but they have God. Mm -hmm. And she told me, she said, Mom, we're very sick, but this is what we're singing, and this is what we're claiming. And it was that song, I Raise a Hallelujah, to the point where when the little ones that are now seven, five, four, and two, um, this was last year, 
they got to the point, they heard that song so much that they were marching around the house singing that song and raising that anthem until they had breakthrough with their healing. So the enemy can be defeated through praise. And I just want you all to know that. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So we're going to raise a hallelujah at the end and give praise to God. Amen. Well, we're in this, uh, the, we're going through the book of Exodus. We're on a journey together and we invite you to take this journey. So you are invited to join us on the journey. Now, every journey has a starting place and our starting place is with Moses having an encounter with the living God in the desert. And we've begun this. I know Robin ministered last week, and I'm sure you were, you were a, a blessed by who God is. He's the God of families. So this journey starts with Moses. He's 80 years old. The first 40 years of his life, he was a prince. Uh, he, he was privileged. Uh, he, he lived in the palace uh, in Egypt. And then he was exiled because he tried to deliver the children of Israel with his staff, one Egyptian at a time, killed one. He was convicted of murder. Uh, the, the, the deed was seen and there was eyewitnesses and so he was sent out into exile. And this is, uh, now he's been 40 years in the far side of the desert and he's a shepherd. And he's not even tending his own sheep, he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. He doesn't have his own flock, he has a wife and he has, he has these sheep to tend that belong to his father-in-law. And I bet he was probably wondering in those, in those lonely days, because he was by himself, and there were, there were some empty, lonely days thinking, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think walking with God was like this. I didn't think it would look like this. I didn't think I'd be where I am. Have you ever had those thoughts? Where you kind of look back and say, God, how did I get where I am? And and sometimes we have regrets and, and we wonder. But let me just tell you that God has a plan. And you're on a journey. And, um, and, and God is going to lead you every step of the way. We do have a destination. But God is the one who has, knows the end from the beginning. And so you're in his, in his plan. Do you know that God even factors in your mistakes? I appreciate that about God. You know, he gets you where he wants you to do, and he even if he factors in your mistakes. Uh, I find that comforting. I guess I'm the only one that's ever made a mistake, but uh, I, find, I find that very comforting that he factors that in. Um, you know, but, but what I want you to see is this encounter um, uh, has absolutely changed the, the life of, of Moses when he encounters God. And that's the starting place. And that's the starting place for us. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would have an encounter with God today, that God would touch your life and that you would begin the journey and join this journey with us. He went from a, a place of, of wandering in the, in the desert with the sheep to a place of worshiping the true and living God. He went, for, he, this was a, as he, as he went to, Israel to be a deliverer, I mean, as he went to Egypt to be a deliverer and moved the people forward, uh, he, he became uh, one who led these people on a march to maturity. He, he was a wanderer and led them to, to, to true worship. They were slaves in Egypt, but they became sons and servants of the Most High. The journey was to know God and to live by his will and to bring his will to bear in the earth. 
Moses started, when his first encounter with God, he hid his face, the scripture says. And then later, as he walked with God, it said that he talked to God face to face as a friend. What an amazing journey to start from not knowing and uh, knowing the true and living God and hiding from him to a place where you speak to him even as a friend speaks to one another, as friends speak to one another. See, in this journey, we do have a destination, and the destination is God himself. It's not just a promised land or a place of blessings, a place where promises are fulfilled in Christ. It, that's not, that's not the, the full and perfect destination. The destination is to know him and then walk with him and make him known in the earth. So we do have a pl- he has a plan and a purpose. He's the place and the prize that we want to go to. There's a couple of scriptures that describe this destination, this travel, this, this walk with God. And uh, Deuteronomy 32, 11 speaks of the fact that God was like an eagle. He's, he's as an eagle who stirs up the nest. And he hovers over the young with its wings, spreads out its wings, and he takes them up. So the Lord led Moses and the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 32, 11. He was like a, he's described as, a, as an eagle who stirred up the nest. You know, eagles are interesting creatures. They, uh, particularly in the Middle East, there's two kinds of e- eagles that live there that are native to that area, the golden eagle and the imperial eagle. And they make their nests on, on cliff sides in, in, uh, in the desert. And what they do is they, they st- when it comes time uh, to help the eaglets uh, to, to fly, they, they stir up the nest so that it's uncomfortable so they'll begin to, to practice flying. They, don't, they, they, they look at the mother. By the way, eagles, they, they mate for life. Uh, and uh, so when the mother comes and starts to stir up the nest, those, these little eaglets are going, what is going on with mom? She's having a bad day. And then uh, they began to step out of that nest because it's more uncomfortable there than flying. And they step out, overcome their fears, and begin to learn and discover how to fly. Um, but we're, we're, we're like that. And so they, these children of Israel, actually to some degree, even though they were miserable in slavery, they were grumbling, complaining, and calling upon God, they also had settled. It had become the way of life. That's what the life that they knew. And so they were in this nest, and they were comfortable, and they were satisfied, and, and uh, miserable, but miserably satisfied. Have you ever been in situations like that where you just sort of settle? You, you know, things aren't great, but they could get worse, so we'll just hang out and live life. Well, that's not what God had for them. And so he began to stir up the nest and then he took them and he, he had again a destination for them to, to learn how to fly, how to soar with God. It, it's, it's, let me just show you one other verse in this and then we'll, we'll go to Eaglet Flight School for just a minute. Exodus 19.4, it says, you have, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So what was the destination? God himself. He said, I brought you to myself. I want you to know me through this process. So Eaglet Fly School, just a flight school, just a little bit about that. They, 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 when they build their nest, they're downfilled and, and uh, very comfortable. And uh, it, it's a place where, where you can just live forever in comfort bliss just knowing that you belong 
to this mother eagle who spreads out her wings and gives you shade in the, in, in, during the hot sun and, and can bring her wings in around you. I mean, those massive wings of an eagle and bring them around you and keep you warm at night. That, that's not where an eaglet is destined to stay. You see, that's, if, we, if we stay in that place, we just, uh, it's like being a nest-bound believer. Where we just say, well, I, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'll go to church, I'll live my life. One day I'll go to heaven. There's so much more. He wants us to understand that we were born to be like him. So the golden eagle that lives in the Middle East, um, that describes or is that, that speaks to us about being partakers of the divine nature. Do you know that we're to look like Christ? We're to look like God himself. And so we're to be partakers of his divine nature. And the imperial eagle, its purpose is to rule. It speaks to us about ruling and bringing to bear his will. What do we do in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But you know how we bring the kingdom? The Bible says we're priests and kingdom. We're priests and kings of the new covenant. And so if we're priests and kings, we've got to become that. But most believers like to just stay in the nest and stay comfortable and go to church and not be the church and, and not step out in faith and just find a place of passivity and, and comfort and, and you know, personal affluence and, and peace is, is what we seek. But we need to understand that we're destined to soar with him. And so what he does, the eagle, the, the Mrs. Eagle, the mama eagle, she stirs up the nest and then she makes it so uncomfortable begins to tear it apart. And they have to fly on their own. And what they do is when they go out, they discover, they discover that they have wings to fly, that they've been built to soar like their mom. Well, we've been built to soar like our heavenly father. We've been built to live a life that like Christ lived on this earth. That's what we're designed for. So we have the divine nature in us and we've been built to bring his will to bear in this earth. But we need, we need to discover that. And so God sometimes stirs up our nests, not so that, that, that we can fall flat on our face, but so that he can show himself strong on our behalf. And if you watch the children of Israel, they went from one disaster to another, but God always came through. And so they were supposed to learn how to soar with God and walk in this victory with him and know that he is, is faithful. Um, and you got to learn how to use both wings. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because sometimes, again, as believers, we just get, we just get uh, hooked. Well, it's all prayer. Um, but then the scripture says to pray with thanksgiving. If it's all prayer, you'll just pray, oh, Lord, everything's miserable and nothing's going to happen, and you'll just go in circles. But if you add the other wing to it, thank you, Father, that you hear me. I give you thanks, Lord, that you care about our situation. I give you praise. And you begin to praise the Lord and flap the wing of prayer, then you'll begin to soar. And in soaring, how do you soar higher? You have to learn how to flow with the currents of the Spirit. You know, you don't see eagles really striving. They just know how to catch the winds of the Spirit, count the winds of the earth and fly and so God wants to teach us that and it's 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 got to do with learning his word and walking in his word learning to hear his voice and be about his business the good news is too the uh, eagles know how to take care of snakes snakes represent uh, uh, Satan and uh, it's good to know that eagles do take care of them very well. If it's a small snake, they come down and they can cut it in half with their, with their beak. 
And that speaks of the fact that we need to learn how to, to handle the word of God like a sword in our mouth and begin to speak the word of God and speak the truth of God and release the power of God as we declare what his word says. And we can cut the enemy in half and to deliver, be delivered from it. That's what Raise a Hallelujah was about. It's cutting the enemy in half. You know what the other thing that it's a big snake, another thing the eagles does, if it's a big snake, the eagle has to deal with that. What he does is he swoops down and he has such strong talons. Have you ever um, taken an eagle or a, um, a hawk or anything out with a, with a leather glove? Anybody ever do? Have, I've done that. It's, yeah, Aaron's done it. I mean, if you wiggle it, they crunch down. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know how, with those little skinny talons but they the power is incredible I don't know what the 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 mechanics are to it but they can crush they can crush a squirrel's head I mean an eagle a hawk can Aaron and I went out hawking one time and uh, we uh, (laughs) come to our life group when my kids were little and you would find a a, you'd find a squirrel in our freezer Um, one of the visitors did and uh we almost lost a life group, um, but um, so we were going to serve him tomorrow at the next life group. But anyway, um, but uh, but we let a let this uh, squirrel go in the middle of the field, and the hawks was amazing. He flew through with both wings right through the trees. That I mean, <laughs> we were in the middle of the field. That the the squirrel ran to the woods, and then he was he was trying to hide. And that I mean, his eyes and his ability. He swooped that he came down and. Uh, crushed the squirrel and had squirrel meat for dinner. And um, so my point is, is that what the, the talons are so strong. So the second way that an eagle deals with a snake is it's, it's kind of funny. He flies down, picks it up, flies as high as he can, and then he drops it on craggy rocks below. And so that's what we're called to do. We're called into a place of victory over the enemy. And whether we cut it with our mouth with the word of God or whether we understand that he's under our feet and he's cast down by the Lord and we stand in that place of victory, then we will grow into a place of maturity. So today I want to just give you three tools and, uh, that will help you, that uh, will help you walk in this place of a starting point, again, to a place of maturity in God. Now, this is just a starting point. We've got a couple more sermons here on this topic as we go through the book of Exodus. This is just a starting point. The first is God's got given you three ter- tools for this journey, three, three pieces of equipment. The first is, number one, is what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And I'll, let me show you that scripture. When Moses has this God encounter. It says that this, uh, Exodus 4, 1 through 4, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Now, it's really interesting. When God asks a question, you, you know he always knows the answer to that question. And so he says, what's in your hand? And he said a rod, and of course it was his shepherd's staff. It, it represented his life. It represented his, his talents, his abilities, his, his career. And he said, cast it on the ground. And so he took that rod and he cast it on the ground. And as soon as he did, it turned into a serpent. Now, again, I, I just picture this, that God is so good. He gave simple instructions to begin the journey. 
You know, God doesn't give complicated instructions. He said, I, hey, hey, okay, here's what we're going to do. What do you have in your hand? Well, it's, it's a rod, God. I mean, okay. All right, I want you to throw that on the ground. Now, how hard or difficult is that to do? He didn't say, I want you to get a rod. I, I, I just want you to take what you have. And I want you to just cast it down before me. Cast it down in my presence. Cast it down. Lay it down in front of me. And so he does. He didn't tell him when you lay it down, it'll turn into a snake because you know what would happen if, if God told him it'll turn into a snake? He'd say, how's that going to happen? That's what my mind would do. I'd say, well, how? Now, this is a dead piece of wood. You're telling me it's going to turn into a snake. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know if it's going to work or not. Is there a technique in casting down is there certain ways you hold it or, you know, you, you, our minds kick in and we began to try to understand God through the natural. But he said, just obey my word and watch what I do. And so he obeys and he casts it down and it turns into a snake. And so that's a, he's learning to trust God. He's learning that when God tells you to do something, there's a purpose and a reason in it. And so he, he's actually learning how to walk in faith and to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. So God said, cast it down. He said, okay, and it turned into a snake. Now, it says, it's funny because it said he fled from that snake. So it was a shock to him. And I don't know, I just picture in my mind, I see sometimes the Bible like a cartoon. I don't know why, but anyway. I mean, you throw, throw it down. I got this one, God. Ah! You know, I mean, and then God says, stop, 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 stop. You know, yes, Lord, you know, well, pick it up. You pick it up. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and then the Lord says to him the funny thing. He said, I want you to pick it up. He said, okay, I, I, I've got enough nerve to go pick up the snake. And, and then he says, but pick it up by the tail. Let's make it a little more difficult. Well, if you've ever caught snakes, I've, you, you, I've done it with a stick with a fork, kind of a, a fork prong, and you catch them behind the neck, and then you can pick them up. Because if you hold them by the head, they can't bite you. But if you pick them up by the tail, I mean, they can whip around, and they do. Um, but he picks it up, and as soon as he touches it, it turns back into a rod. And I, I don't know about you, but I can kind of see him going, I knew that was going to happen. You know, I mean, you just got to, he, he, he had, there's a, still a little bit of pride there in him. You know, it's, it's a little bit of his ability, but he's going to get to learn how that when you lay something down at the feet of God, our natural, he puts his supernatural on it for his purpose and will. So he, he, this is the wildest thing, but he, so here's what happens is, you know, the rest of the story, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That's an amazing thing. So here's a couple of lessons that we can learn from that is, is don't look at your own ability. See, we can look at what we have and think we don't have much. We don't have much. I, I, I remember a lady came to our church years ago, and she said, she said I, can't, I don't have anything. I, I'm 90 years old. I don't have anything to give to God. I said, could you help us with communion, and would you pray over it? And this lady was a saint, and she would prepare communion and, and help a little bit with, uh, with, with, with praying. I was Burl Shaw. I guess she was probably about 80 when she started, uh, ended up serving for several years. But we don't need to look at our abilities. Look at the needs around you and listen to the call of God. So you walk in the natural, but understand that you're serving a supernatural God and that he has plans for you. 
um, th- we went up to New York and, and, and I went down into the hot tub with Marla at this hotel we were at. And, and uh, uh, this guy just starts pouring out his heart to me. And, and, and I realized, and he had, he, anyway, he had some situations in his life. And, and we talked and we prayed and he said, thank you so much for your help. Well, I, I wasn't looking for a ministry opportunity in the hot tub. I was trying to relax, and, but one came up because there was a need, and it was a man from Canada that had some real bad situations in his life. So you got to listen and, and listen. And one of the ways to listen is say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? When, somebody, when an opportunity unfolds a need, don't say, man, I wish Pastor Perry was here. He'd give him a word. Why don't you try to give him a word? You could say, I, you know, let me just try to do this thing. And then we'll call Pastor Perry. Don't look at your abilities. Look at your need. Uh, look at the, for needs around you and then listen for the call. Okay, next thing is uh, um, put what you have in your hand into God's hand. And this is really important. God won't use what you haven't given him. If you hold on to it, it's yours. But if you give him your time and your talent and your treasure and you say, Lord, it's all yours, I lay it at your feet, then he'll begin to use it. But he won't use what you don't give him. So give it to him and you'll be in for an exciting time together. All Moses had was this, this staff that was carved out of, uh, from a sapling, but God put his super on the natural. God put his super. So this, this became a tool of authority and power, a symbol of the cross. It parted the Red Sea. It delivered Israel at, from the, the enemy. And let's look at number two real quick. God wants us to have skin in the game. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He could have delivered children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land without anybody's help. He could have picked them up and transported them. He could have done whatever he wanted. But you know what? He loves to use us. Matter of fact, it's not only his preference. He doesn't do anything without using somebody. He always uses somebody. Even if it's a little boy with, a, with two loaves and, and, and fish. He uses somebody who puts it into his hands. And then he does the super on our natural. And then we see his work done. Skin in the game, where does that come from? Well, that comes from Exodus uh, 4, 6, and 8. It says, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. This was the second sign that he got. If the snake doesn't get him, here's how you convince that you're from me. Put your hand in your bosom. So he put his hand to his chest, and and he put his hand to his bosom, and and, uh, he took it out. And behold, his hand was leprosis, like leprosis, anyway, leprosis, whatever it is, anyway. It wasn't in a good condition. It was very sick. It was like snow. And he said, put your hand to your bosom again. And here's what happened. He said, when he put his hand there, he said, so he put his hand again to his bosom. He drew it out out of his bosom and behold, it was restored like, like the other flesh. Then he said, this shall be, uh, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of your first sign, then you may believe the message of the latter sign. They'll believe the latter of the, this, they'll believe this message of the latter sign. What was that all about? I think he just wanted to know he had skin in the game. What does skin in the game mean? That God 
wanted him to be a part of the miracle. God wants you to be a part of the miracle. God can do miracles, but he wants you to be a part of the miracle. Do you know he told Moses to part the Red Sea? You think Moses figured that one out? Moses knew to throw down the staff. Now God says, part the Red Sea. He says, okay, part. And it parted. But he could have said, Lord, you need another man. But he did what God said. We need to understand that God has invited us on this journey. This journey of maturity. This journey to soar like an eagle. This journey to become like him. There was a professor one time, and I'll wrap this up. I know it's... We're going to have communion here. And you know what? I got a proposal. Let's start on time. You all come on time. We'll start on time. Just throw that out there. There's this professor who, who uh, first day of class, he stood up and he stood on the platform in front of all the students and he said, there's no God. I'll prove it to you. God, if you're there, knock me over. And if two minutes went by, nothing happened. He kept taunting God. God, if you're there, knock me over. Finally, a guy on the football team, a football player in the back, about 240 pounds, he ran forward and knocked him over. Not really hard, but just knocked him over enough. And he said, what'd you do that for? And he said, well, God's busy. So I decided to do it for him. He sent me. Now, that's not the best way to handle things. God doesn't need us. And, 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 but what I want to say is, is that we are a part not knock people over, but we are a part. He's factored us in. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. God's not too busy. He just needs one of us to volunteer. All right, so, and then the last tool is that he provides a helper. You remember the story. This is what Moses says in Exodus 4 and 10. This is the last point. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before or since uh, you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, therefore, go and, uh, and I will be, and the Lord says, now, therefore, go and I will, be, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say, what you shall say. But he said, oh, Lord, please send the hand of whomever else you might want to select. He's saying, not me, Lord, pick somebody else. God got ticked off. We won't go into that. It's not good to say no to God. And God came back and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. Isn't that amazing that his brother, who's been in Egypt all this time, 40 years later said, I'm going to go look up my brother in the backside of the desert. And, and God is providential. That's where he's working. And he says, he says uh, he'll be glad to see you. Uh, he will be glad in his heart. And he said, now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what, to, what you shall uh, do. And he says, so he shall be your spokesman to the people. The word spokesman there is nabe. In the Hebrew, it means uh, prophet. He'll be like a prophet to you. Um, in other words, you'll speak as God, and then he'll repeat it. He'll speak the word of the Lord to others. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as a God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do 
these signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help you. God's given you brothers and sisters to help you. God's given you teams of people to stand with you. And so as we close, what's in your hand? What do you have to commit to God? Even if it seems so insignificant, the Lord counts everything. The widow's might. She came with two copper coins. And God said, oh, I'm thrilled with her heart. God wants you to, to have skin in the game. Understand that he wants you to be a part of growing into maturity and help others. And God always provides helpers. He puts us in a family and, and he provides the Holy Spirit as the most great and awesome helper. Uh, we're going to receive uh, communion today and so the ushers are going to come forward and as they do, I'll close with this story. There was a, there was a, a, a man named Charles who decided that he, he and his wife wanted to go to the mission field. They just burned with a passion and go ahead and uh, distribute the elements and, and um, we just appreciate you serving and preparing and praying. These elements have been prayed over and, and uh, so we'll hold them together and then we'll partake together. But this man named Charles, he went to the mission field and his wife became ill. Thank you. His wife became uh, very ill and so he had to return. And he was so sad that, that he couldn't fulfill the mission and he was disillusioned and wondered why. Why did God do that? Uh, why didn't God keep his wife well? And so he had a, his father was a dentist and, and so he, he worked for his father and his father had a, a side job, a little side job. He, he and so he helped his dad in his business. And then after a few years, he realized that what he was called to do was to develop this business and give a significant amount of money to the mission field. And so God helped him to turn that business into this flourishing enterprise, a flourishing business. And and to this day, it's, it's going strong. And uh, we're getting ready to partake of the business. It's uh, Welch's Grape Juice. The guy's last name was Welch. Uh, it was uh, Charles Welch. And he, he created the, the grape juice. They actually got this idea to do it for, for communion. But he's, they gave 10% of every, all their profits to, to missions through the years. It's an amazing thing how God has worked. And he realized that he, he was called to be a supporter. And that was God's plan. He could do something that others could do what he could, couldn't do in the field. And he could do something that they couldn't do back in the States. And what I'm telling you is, is that that path unfolded. He started that journey and ended up being a wealthy business, prosperous businessman who gave and, and, and flourished. And I, I just want to tell you that you're on a journey and those tools are with you. So give what you have to God. Look what's in your hand. Jesus himself is in your hand. He's with you. And you know, as you serve him, he will use you in a mighty way. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he he took the bread and, and he said that this, this bread has been broken for you. 
And then he told them to take and eat. And well, I'll tell you that just in a minute here. But Jesus' bones were never broken, the scripture says. But he says that this bread was broken. What was broken was his relationship with the Father. It was, he was broken off from the Father. So God could bless it and he could be an instrument in God's hands to bring us into a relationship with God. And so when you partake, realize that this symbolizes the life of God within you. And so take and eat in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup. He said, I've got this better covenant I'm making, a new covenant in my blood. And you're going to be priests of the new covenant. You're going to minister this new covenant. You're going to tell others about my grace. You're going to preach the gospel to the nations. He said all these things, not everything in that night, but as the days unfolded. He said, I want you to go and preach this gospel. Tell the good news that the grace of God has been provided. His mercies are everlasting. He said, I want to use you, use your mouth, your resources. I want to empower you. I want signs and wonders to follow you as you preach the gospel. I want you to see amazing things happen in my name. And he said, and it all is based on this covenant that I'm making with you. And so he said, take and drink in remembrance of me until I return. Let's drink together. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. And Lord, in, we, we pray, we lay our lives down. What do we have in our hands? Well, we have you. We have your word. We have your power. We lay our lives down and Lord, we pray you'd use us to bring down the enemy, to soar with you at new heights. Lord, to take this journey to a place of maturity and fruitfulness in Jesus' name. Thank you.